It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Julie Tupler, president of Diastasis Rehab. Julie is a registered nurse, certified personal trainer, and childbirth educator. She is in the better belly business. That means having a better belly after having a baby, a better belly after abdominal surgery, and better belly after doing improper abdominal exercises like crunches. Julie has developed her research and evidence-based program called the Tupler Technique, where she has treated diastasis recti for over 20 years. Her program has been translated into the six different languages, where she trains medical and fitness professionals all over the world how to teach her program. If you should happen to get the opportunity to meet her, as I have, she is always glad to check you for a diastasis. Her website is tuplertechnique.com. Julie Tupler, welcome into the corner office. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's great to have you here. And we always like to kind of start off the podcast. We're, gosh, about going into our month four of sheltering in place. And I knew you've been right in the in the center of the hot spots of what's been going on during these COVIDian times. Tell me a little bit about how you're holding out and more importantly, kind of how your business is doing during this period. Well, I'm going to knock on wood here, but my business is doing really well. And one of the reasons it's doing well is because I was set up to do remote anyway. You do most of your training and your developing and your consulting all remote, right? Well, most of my business, I have an online store and my videos, people can buy them and get them streaming. The same thing with my book, they can get an ebook. So, and I was supposed to do training in New York City the end of March. Right. And um, what happened was, was closed down. So my trainer yeah, from yeah. Austria, Brazil, and Maryland could not come. So I did train them remotely. It's all become remote. Yeah. And you've got quite a bit of international business. So have you always done that remotely as well? Or has that been a new phenomenon? Well, my business is I sell retail and wholesale. So I've always sold internationally and right. I've trained professionals internationally since 2009. So so you were well set up to, to kind of handle this crisis from a remote basis. Basically, the only thing that changed is that now I don't need an office. Right, right. I don't need an office, <laughs> so I'm closing my office down, Yeah, and which is great, so I don't have to uh, 
pay for storage. <laughs> right, right. Well, many of our CEOs are finding that commercial real estate is is no longer a commitment they need to make. So, well, I'm glad to hear that. And of course, being set up for remotely uh, doing business, of course, has made a great difference. I feel feel the same. I've been working remotely for 15 years or so now, and it's been a blessing to be able to go into this and be well prepared. But let's start a little bit more about you. Tell me a little bit about your early years, where you grew up, and what your early family life was like. Well, you can probably tell with my accent that I am from Chicago, from the Midwest. People always say, where are you from? Although I try to get rid of that accent, um, certain words uh, still haunt me. <laughs> so I just try and replace them with different words. But anyway, I'm from the south side of Chicago, and um, my uh, parents moved to the north side. Um, mm -hmm. I went to University of Illinois College of Nursing. I became a nurse uh, because my mother was a nurse, and right. uh, I just liked what she did. What did your dad do? He was an, had a cosmetic business. Mm -hmm. Got it. And brothers and sisters? I have two sisters. Right. And um, one older and one younger. Both are in Chicago still. Ah, the middle child. Uh, I'm the middle child, yes. <laughs> what kind of things do you remember growing up that you know mom and dad might have inspired in you as you were uh, coming of age? My mother was very funny, and I saw that people liked her because she was funny. And then I saw how powerful humor was when my father mm. would come in to spank me because I was being mischievous. I would put a pillow in my <laughs> shirt, and I would walk like a, like a hunchback, and he would walk in, and I would tell him that he couldn't hit a deformed person. <laughs> and he would walk out of the room laughing, and I thought, "Wow, of course, you know, if somebody if somebody that laughs, <laughs> and they can't be mad at you." Well, little known fact, you've actually done stand up at one point in your career, as I know. That's right. When I first started doing my business here, when I first moved here, I went to acting school. Not that I wanted to be an actress; I just wanted the experience of it, and I studied with the Groundlings and um, did improvisation, and then I did stand up. And then I ended up doing a show for pregnant women because that was what my business was. It was in 1990, it was maternal fitness, and it was preparing women for the marathon of labor, teaching them as a childbirth educator. I realized that childbirth education comes at the end of the pregnancy and only prepares your mind. You can't run in a race and not train. Why would a woman do the hardest thing she's ever going to do labor and not have that mind-body connection? and especially know how to use her abdominals, to strengthen her abdominals so she can use the abdominals and relax the pelvic floor to prevent all the issues that women get by not knowing how to push correctly, which is prolapses and incontinence and all of that. Well, that kind of formed the foundation of uh, the Astasis Rehab, which we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast, because for obvious reasons, you had some early founding experiences. But were you a good student in school? I always liked the sciences. I always, I always liked the sciences, and, and I liked literature as well, and that was one of the reasons that I went to acting school, because I felt with my nursing education, I mean, I have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, mm -hmm. but I never felt that I read enough literature, so that was one of the reasons mm -hmm. that I went to acting school, so that I could catch up on all that. And did you do some uh, performance acting as well in terms of that? Or did you just kind of, again, go for the education uh, in terms of how to be an actor? Or did you actually do some theater? I did not do any theater mm -hmm. other than dancing in a company, um, in a theater company. 
I did not do any acting. I felt most comfortable uh, with doing stand-up. That was where I felt most comfortable. And then I had my show in 1990. It was called A Pregnant Pause. And it was educational comedy where you learned all the things that you needed to learn um, and laughed at the same time. I had a, you know, a uterus that was ovulating into the audience and singing womb service blues. And I had a (laughs) Jewish mother placenta singing, take me with you to the baby. And then I had little vagina puppets rapping about the Kegel exercise. Entertaining as well as educating. Well, you're an entrepreneur. You've you've had your own company for almost 30 years. Were there some entrepreneurial tendencies early on in your uh, life? Did you do things younger on? What, what were some of those in high school or secondary school? You know, as early as I can remember, I babysat my younger sister. Mm. And I loved getting out there and babysitting and making money. Right. And then at 16, I worked at a shoe store on Halstead. And then I did reservations with Holiday Inn. And then I did, um, which was, again, remote. And then I did, um, I like sales. Right. So I worked at a uh, millinery store and I would sell hats. And do you, did, were you saving away for nursing school? Did you have certain things that you liked to spend your money on at that time? What was that? Well, yes. I, where that go towards? <laughs> it went right back into the stores that I was working for. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> you had a lot of hats, a lot of hat connections, huh? I had a lot of hat connections. Well, I would wear the hats and I would amuse myself by pretending I was a mannequin. And then if I saw right. somebody shoplifting, I would say, may I help you and scare them. <laughs> <laughs> that, I'm sure that was very effective. And when they would say, oh, my God, you scared me. I thought you were a dummy. I said, no, I happen to have a very high IQ, actually. <laughs> I love it. And what made you decide to go to nursing school? What kind of motivation for that? Was that mom's uh, influence? It was definitely my mom. People really liked her. And she always said to my sisters and myself that how important it was to make a difference in the world and to mm. help people and to be out there doing that. So, um, and she said, you just feel so much better when you're helping people. Sure. Absolutely. It just makes such a difference. It just, and she was totally right about that. What was the first job that you took after you finished nursing school? The first job that I took after nursing school, I worked on a (laughs) med surge floor. It was not what I wanted to do. It was not what I would, because they were definitely understaffed and the, the, the aides and the orderlies would disappear. I never got the opportunity to do what I liked most and which was teaching. Right. So I maybe lasted there a year. I had an incident where when I worked a double shift and one of the patients was in a room with a with a moaner. Do you know what a moaner is? No, what's a moaner, Julie? A moaner is somebody that goes, uh, <laughs> continuously. Yeah, never stops. Continuously. So the woman in the other bed, it was driving her crazy. So she said, can you move me to another room? So I told the head nurse and the supervisor, and there were no beds available or anything like that. So I came into doing rounds in my next shift, and she was like trying to climb out the window. So I pulled <laughs> her back in, all right? And I said, I've got to get her out of here. So there was a woman in a private room, and I said, would you mind if I rolled her in and just, just for the evening, she, she was climbing out the window. So they said, no problem. I rolled her in the room. Well, you know, it was a double shift, so I forgot to mention this. <laughs> so in the morning, the patient was gone, bed and all. They were very upset with me. 
And, you know, and, and I did what I needed to do. <laughs> you took care of people. That's what counts. <laughs> to manage the situation. And that's right. I did what I needed to do. Now, I understand that you worked for you worked for a while in, in real estate, if I'm not mistaken, before you kind of got back into nursing. Tell us about that period. In Chicago, after I worked in Passivant, I worked on a psychiatric ward and studied at the Adlerian Institute. And then I became a psychiatric instructor at a oh, um, nursing school yeah. and then became director of in-service education at a hospital. Hmm. Then I got married and moved to California. My husband was doing his internship there. And then I did vocational rehabilitation and work with back injury people okay. there, which sort of got me into the groove of thinking at that particular point in time, I probably should have been a physical therapist and not a nurse because mm. that was more really up my alley. But then we moved to New Orleans and um, I decided I wasn't going to do nursing. So I was going to take a break from that. What was kind of the decision around making that change? Well, you know, I didn't want to work in the, in the, in the hospital home for the incurables, you know. That wasn't... <laughs> Even though you had a lot of exposure to them, it sounds like. Okay, okay, Brant, I'm taking you to home for the incurables, but don't worry, you'll be the first one that they cure. And I just wanted to do something different. So I had this opportunity to um, do commercial real estate. I didn't want to sell houses. I sort of went to school for that and became a CCIM, which is sort right, of getting a, right. a master's in real estate roots. and just focused on <laughs> um, retail and did that and then became vice president of a company and was leasing and selling Did you manage centers. people in that position or were you an individual contributor? I was an individual contributor. Yeah. And at that mm -hmm. point in time, I took an exercise class and I thought it was very dangerous. And I told them, I think this, I told the manager, I think this, this class mm -hmm. was really not safe. And he sort of rolled his eyes at me and said, well, if you could do better. And I said, thank you. I really could do better. <laughs> I could teach that class better than what was taught. So it was yeah. at that point in time, I said, all right, I'm going to get, that and I got challenge. certified as a, an exercise instructor and as a personal mm -hmm. trainer and, um, and started teaching exercise. And then I danced in a jazz company in New Orleans and in a show. And then it was time to go, so I um, moved to uh, New York and decided I was going to go into show business and entertain people because I always liked doing that. Even as a child, my mother would have us, you know, my sister and I go to the hospital and we would entertain, and I liked doing that. I liked going out and making people laugh. Now, that transitioned, obviously, now to uh, diastasis rehab, which you've done for almost 30 years. And tell, tell us just a little bit about that. You know, when you and I met, I had no idea what this, um, well, it's not really a disease. It's more of a condition, right? Isn't that how you describe it? Well, it is a condition that can cause serious side effects. Mm. And the medical community has not connected the dots. Well, tell us about the condition. What What, what is it and, and how is it? The condition is... Diastasis means separation, mm -hmm. and recti is the outermost abdominal okay. muscle. So these outermost abdominal muscles, their job, this rectus abdominis, those six-pack muscles, their job is to support your back and to support your organs. And in reality... Keep it, the organs inside the ribcage, so to speak. That's right. Keep the yeah. organs inside. And yeah. in reality, it really supports the whole body because when the muscles separate and the connective tissue joining them stretches sideways... When it stretches sideways, it becomes weaker and thinner. 
So now it's this weak connective tissue supporting your organs in your back. Right. And that and doesn't do a very good job of it. So what happens is people get back pain, they get bloating after eating, they get constipation, mm. they get pelvic floor issues, poor posture, um, umbilical hernia. And this impacts both men and women, but it, this kind of goes back to your earlier work with pregnant women, right? Isn't pregnant women also a high high risk group? I discovered it because pregnancy is one of the causes right. of it. But when men get those guy guts, they get it as well. And it sure. only gets worse as they age. If they do crunches, crunches creates a separation mm. and makes it worse. If you continue to do them, it's also bad for the disc of your spine. And somebody gets in a car accident, that separates the muscles. If they've had abdominal surgery, that separates the muscles. So there's mm. a lot of causes that these muscles get separated. And um, it just only, and you see seniors that are rounded over with the right. big bellies. When it gets to that point, it's too late for me to help them. But, right. but right. up to that point, I can definitely help them. And once you bring the muscles together, that is the only way that you can get a strong core. Now, people feel so much better because their abdominals become flatter. But this separation can put a pregnant woman at risk for an unnecessary C-section because mm. when the muscles separate, mm. the top of the uterus tilts forward. So then the cervix is pointing sideways instead of downwards and lined up with the vaginal canal. It can put a patient having abdominal surgery at risk for an incisional hernia, meaning that after you have the surgery, the stitches come undone. Right. And most of the surgeries done in the United States are incisional hernias. Yeah. And by bringing the muscles together, making the connective tissue stronger, and having the patients understand how to use their abdominals in the recovery process to maintain the integrity of the sutures is very important. Now, you developed the, the four-step Tupler technique. I've learned about that since you and I met and watched your video. Give us just kind of an overview of what those four steps are. Okay, so, so to treat diastasis recti, the separation of the muscles, the big picture is that you need to heal the connective tissue, this stretched out connective tissue. Right. And I do this three ways, by repositioning the connective tissue. So I take the stretch off the connective tissue. And I do that by approximating it with a splint that I've developed. And that brings the muscles together. So the connective tissue has to continuously be in a narrow position so that it heals. Kind of bringing it back together, just as you would with a wound, right? Well, if you're breaking a bone, you continuously keep the two ends of the bone together so it eventually fuses. Right. It's the same thing with the connective tissue. Got it. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you need to bring the muscles close together so that they work right. In order to strengthen the muscles, in order for them to work correctly, they have to be close together to work in a front-to-back direction. Right, right. If they're separated and then you engage the innermost muscle, which is attached to the outer, they just move side to side. Mm. And the more separated they are, usually people don't feel it. They only feel their abdominal muscles when they're close together in the position that they're supposed to be. So my goal is that every belly should be checked as part of any medical mm. or fitness evaluation. Yeah. So it's yeah. repositioning the muscles and the connective tissue, protecting the connective tissue from getting stretched either in a forwards or sideways directions, we teach a diastasis safe workout and strengthening the innermost abdominal muscle, which is called the transverse muscle, which nobody ever strengthens. And, and this is really important because 
when you strengthen the muscle, you're strengthening the connective tissue at the same time. In fact, isn't it, isn't it the transverse muscle that usually gets affected most by improper exercise, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So once you strengthen and the transverse is connected to the outer recti muscle, so, you know, you get both of them. Once you strengthen the connective tissue, you see somebody that has an outie belly button and umbilical right. hernia. Once you strengthen the connective tissue, it brings support to the to the belly button, mm, and the belly right. button goes from an outie to an innie. How about that? So those are the, the three ways that we do it, and my statistics um, show that in six weeks, my program can make a diastasis by following all four steps, fifty five percent smaller, and this is without wow. surgery. What kind of effective rate does it have with all the participants? Does everybody get a little bit of benefit or, or are there some folks where it just can't be rescued? By doing surveys, and this is something that you have to do when you run a business, is you have to see what's going on with your audience. So I do surveys and what I found out is that my program does much better with support. All right. So I created an online support mm. program. There's no termination date. You know, they can do it on their own. Or they can start, a, a, we start a, a, a class each month. There's weekly videos, there's weekly tips, there's a blog to reach out to others. And then I do weekly live webinars for them to ask questions where I can demonstrate stuff. So right, when right. they have the support, they do, they do much better. I just, in my last training of professionals, I trained a yoga instructor and she was in her second trimester. And I, checked her myself for her diastasis, and it was like about six fingers distance apart. And in three weeks, during her mm. pregnancy, as her belly was getting bigger, she brought it to three fingers and maintained that her whole pregnancy. Wow. And when she got to her birth, she knew, because teaching somebody how to push in labor is a learned skill. You need to learn it during your pregnancy, so because you can't teach somebody a new skill when they're in pain. So she knew how to push with her abdominals sure. and relax the pelvic floor and had an, a much mm. easier birth because of that. Fantastic. Now, you know, I know we're an audio podcast, so it's kind of hard to visually describe this, but can people check their own bodies to determine whether or not they might, you know, have a diastasis break? That's a great question, Brent. Absolutely, they can check. I actually have a video on my website. Mm. Um, there's a card like Check Your Belly. And then there's a video where I show how to check your belly. Right. When you're checking yourself, you're checking for two things. You're checking for the distance between the muscles. Right. All right. At your belly button, halfway between, below your belly button, halfway between your pubic bone and your belly button, and above your belly button, halfway between your belly button and the bottom of your sternum. All right. You're checking the distance and you're checking the condition of your connective tissue. Mm. The further your finger can go down, the weaker the connective tissue. Right, right. So the weaker the connective tissue, it's going to take longer, but, but people will see results. Now, are the exercises different for men than they are for women? No, they're exactly the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The only thing different is when I work with men clients, the issue that men have is that women are told to hold their bellies in and men are told to stick their chest out. <laughs> right. So when they stick their chest out, what happens is they flare their ribs and that stretches the connective tissue. So I need to teach them how to connective tissue. So I need to teach wow. them how to bring their ribs in. And it's more difficult for men than women because mm. they have that habit of doing that. Right. Is there a higher incidence among men or women with this? Nope. 
most people have it and children have it too. Hmm. Most people have it and don't know they have it. I was at a party and I was the entertainment for the party. I checked everybody. There were about 30 people there and I checked everybody for a diastasis. <laughs> and, and, and Did everybody- you use, you use some of your comedic uh, lessons as well? Of course, <laughs> of course. That's my job to make people laugh. Right, right. But most people have it and just don't know it. Once yeah. people get the awareness of it, my clients, they look at people and they go, oh, they go up to other people. You have a diastasis. You have a diastasis. So. <laughs> you have a referral program. Now, is it, does it have to do with being overweight? I'm sure overweight can certainly extend it, right? Or, or promote it more. How, yes, you know, absolutely. Well, the pregnant belly. Pregnant right? belly, of Except course. Except yeah. for the fact that my program, my maternal fitness program, found that we could make a diastasis smaller during the pregnancy. But you see, here's the deal. Most people, well, not most people, but everybody is born with their muscles separated. And after three years old, after the nervous system is developed, the muscles usually come together. I don't say close Mm. because you have a weak spot in that connective tissue joining the muscles right at your belly button. Right. So with that weak spot there, if you're doing, like if children do gymnastics and they're arching their back and Mm. doing back bends, they're going to be separating. Wow. If they're doing a lot of swimming where they're where they're arching their back, yep. if the child is constipated and then they come and they, they get to school and they do crunches because they have that as part of the fitness gram, um, my child did not do that because I said that she had a diastasis and she couldn't do it. Right. But most of the children do that. So then it gets worse. Hmm. All right. And then women get pregnant and usually they're starting the pregnancy with a diastasis and with each pregnancy it gets worse. Is it a physical thing? I mean, obviously, you know, I, <laughs> without having you there to measure it, uh, people want to, you know, go on the video and they can figure that out. But do they feel a certain difference? You know, in other words, do they feel- Well, their belly button is going to look different. It's going okay. to look like, like with a hoodie. So if you've got an Audi- If you have an Audi, you probably you know, have a diastasis. Right. No, is that not a good, probably. You do have no, it. You do have one. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you've had a baby, most likely you do. Yeah. yeah. If you've been doing crunches- most you likely do. you have it. Yeah, yeah. And it only gets worse as you age. So for all of you that are listening that have Audi Billy buttons out there, <laughs> you might want to go and take out Dr. Uh, sorry, Julie Tepler's uh, video and check for yourself. My goodness, that's a, that's a really good indication. And what it can lead to, of course, is uh, back problems, right? Over time, if it's not addressed. The function of your muscles are to support your back. Right. So anybody that complains of back pain should be checked for this. It should be part of any medical evaluation, any fitness evaluation. People are missing out when they don't check for this. Right, right. Very important. Well, gosh, this has been fantastic. You've got uh, a tremendous business. You've been doing this now for a number of years. What's kind of next? What's the evolution of this business for you, Julie? What's next for me is as you keep on taking the business to different levels, and my hope is that. My business survives me. So in order to have my business and my Tupler technique to survive me, I would like to join forces with another company that's medical supplies because I have many products or a healthcare company that is interested in prevention and also would like another income stream because I'm right now developing a master trainer program so that the people that I've trained will train mm. others, all right? So um, it will survive me that way. Right. 
And how many how many trainers or master trainers do you have out there today? Well, I'm just starting the master trainer okay. program, so I don't have any. Right. But I'm now in the process of training, doing a master training with somebody in Frankfurt, a physical therapist, mm-hmm, a physical mm-hmm. therapist in Canada, and then I have another uh, trainer in Italy. So right. I'm I'm working with three people right now to be master trainers, and I'm and hoping- then you license them with a Tupler technique. Is that part of what you will do? Is, is that process or? They're just master trainers where they okay. train people. I like right. them to be independent. and But they use your technique. They use my technique, right? right. right? And they have to use my technique. If they're, if they're doing things that go against it, then I talk to them, and then they don't do that anymore. And the products are, uh, I, you know, I have just recently watched the video. There's a splint, right, that you wear There's as a splint. part of the exercises. We have, we have two models, mm-hmm. five sizes, two colors, and I now have day wear, and then I have sleepwear mm. because a lot of my clients were saying, ah, oh, it's too difficult. I can't breathe to sleep in it. So I created a new splint with a softer elastic that they could sleep in. And it's just called together wear. So I have that. And they wear these, they wear these splints just when they exercise or they wear no, them no, all no, the they time? No, no, no. They wear it all the time. Just like you right. wear a cast all the time. They yeah. wear this all the time. Got it. Got it. I have a, a tape mm-hmm. for like, it works like sort of like a butterfly bandaid. We start that in week four. I have a cream that nourishes the connective tissue and prepares the skin for for taping. Hmm. I have a couple little guidebooks. I have a diastometer for measuring diastasis. And I've written three books on the topics and produced five videos. And it's in six different languages now. So anyone out there that might think they have a problem, tuplertechnique.com, right? I think that's your website where they can learn more about that. Tupler Technique or Diastasis Rehab, either one will go to it. Well, we're just about out of time, but there's a couple other questions we always like to ask our guests, uh, particularly in you know these uh, pandemic times and looking forward. Tell us a little bit about what you you know speculate in terms of what's going to happen in a post-COVID world if we even enter that. You know, so many folks are saying well, this is going to be around us for a while. H- how is this going to affect your work and you know the folks that you treat? And what other changes do you see ahead? You know, sociologically or economically for us. Well, for myself to do business, I know that you have to do it. You have to have a niche. Mm-hmm. So my niche is is this, and I think that people really have to, other people have to think, how are they different than other people in what they're doing? Right. And then, as you say, looking ahead, what do I need to do to stay ahead and keep up with the technology and, and keep up with what's going on? So people need to think about that. And for me, I'm setting everything up to be remotely because right. I do not know what's going to happen with yeah. this COVID virus. And now right. they're saying that because we've stopped everything else, all these other illnesses are coming back as well. Mm, So working remotely, it seems like it's going to be that and setting up, you know, yourself to be remotely. And then marketing, for me, again, listening, you know, doing surveys and and listening to what my avatar, my client is interested in, marketing is not the same. It's all about educating. It's all about bringing value to your client base. And you bring value by educating them. So anybody that's interested in my program, and they've logged on to to get my free Tupler tips, anybody that's interested in that, I invite them to do a like a mini series of how to Mm. check for the diastasis, like my a little a summary of my four steps, 
and like a diastasis safe workout. And You're then only engaging I them. them. Yeah. Right. Right. So I give them more information. And then I, of course, do the irresistible offer, you know, with the open card and closed card. And it seems to work well because people feel that I care about them and their process on their journey of having a better belly. Right, right. Awesome. So that's that connection is so important that you have to make, you, you know, with your, your client base. Well, Julie, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question. We ask our entrepreneurs and CEOs, and that's, you know, looking back and, and again, as you said, to be of support of others, what career and life advice would you give to someone who's maybe, you know, 10, 15 years behind you in their career and, and maybe, you know, wants to be an entrepreneur like themselves? What are, what are some of the key values that you would share with them to, uh, you know, kind of be successful in the uh, entrepreneurial world? You have to have the niche. Mm. You have to understand your client and what they want. And always say to, your, say to yourself and to your client, you want to give them more than their money's worth. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when you are a, um, an entrepreneur, you have to think, what is going to move my business? Because you have all these decisions to make. Right. And you have to organize your time. That's really important in terms of organizing your time and getting people to support you, to help you do the things that need to be done. What moves my business forward faster? What is going to mm -hmm. what is going to make me money here when I'm deciding? So then you have to say to yourself, okay, what is my outcome here? What is my outcome? And you know, divide it up each week. What is my outcome? Okay, so what are the steps that I need to do to get that? And then how long is it going to take me? And and just write it out. You have to do that and be organized because you can end up spending being distracted by a phone call and the emails and then you just <laughs> and then the day is gone yeah and you haven't accomplished what you needed to accomplish so then you're up all night you know so you really <laughs> have to i've been there and realized that the most important thing is organizing your time as well yeah so good well julie tepler president of diastasis rehab thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.